this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we'll be talking with producer and director Brian Andrew Mendoza for his new film, Sweet Girl, starring Jason Momoa and Isabella Merced, which will be available on Netflix on August 20th. It was a pleasure to speak with Mendoza about the film. It's his directorial debut as a feature. He's helmed some commercials and shorts before. Uh, He's also Jason Momoa's producing partner. So we talked a bit about what's it like making a film for Netflix, uh, what it's like working with Momoa. Uh, the challenges of shooting the action in this film. Also, if you've seen the film, you know that there's a there's an interesting twist, and so we got into that as well. Yeah, Sweet Girl. Is, I mean, it's a it's a really solid action thriller with Jason Momoa at the center, but it's got a bit more of like a dramatic or emotional twist, I would say, to it. And it's interesting watching Momoa in a in a role like this, where you know, as as uh, the director pointed out to us, that it, it's we usually see Jason Momoa in like a fantasy atmosphere or like sci-fi playing a big brute. Um, And in this one, he just plays a a dad trying to take care of his daughter in the wake of his wife's death. So uh, it's a, it's a really fun film. It it feels a bit like a throwback. It's a really fun film. His his wife has died. He's trying to take care of his daughter. Listen, it's fun watching Jason Momoa murder people. Yes, it is fun. (laughs) No, it's, but it is also a sad movie. No, it's like, you know, it, it's one of those, it's another one of those solid Netflix action films where you're like, I don't know what this is, but it's like 90 minutes and I want to like hang with it. And, yeah. you know, and I think, and, you know, I think Momoa and Merced are, are both great actors. And I think Mendoza did a really good job. Uh, yeah. And it was a pleasure to speak with them. Yeah. We talked to him about working with uh, cinematographer Barry Aykroyd, who uh, works a lot with Paul Greengrass and is kind of famous for that um, kind of three camera handheld technique. Uh, and he gave some great insight into what it's like working with someone like that, but also um, crafting action sequences, you know, with that setup. Um, and he was a c- cinematographer himself before uh, directing his first feature. So it was really interesting interesting to hear him talk about kind of his path uh, to becoming a director. Um, and I look forward to seeing more from him. So. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, here's our interview with Brian Andrew Mendoza. So I wanted to start off by asking, what's the process like of of making a movie for Netflix? Uh, what what did you come to them with a with this pitch, or was were there general discussions about just wanting to work with them? How did that go? It started with so Jason and I have a production company together. We've had for like twelve years. I had been just starting it like for a few years prior prior to. Sweet Girl um, happening. I started uh, directing commercials and stuff for our company. And initially this script came to us from Jeff Pearson and Brad Payton, who we worked together on Frontier, uh, the Netflix show. And they, well, I was going to come on as producer and Jason was going to uh, star in it. And we interviewed, we started interviewing directors and we just couldn't really find the right one. And then Jason looked at me one day and said, I don't understand why you're not doing it. And, uh, and then I was like, well, I don't know if they would let a first timer do something this big. Um, and, uh, and it's a testament to Netflix to, to believe in me and uh, allowing me to do it. But so we then, we then, um, you know, uh, 
got it that way. And we just, we shopped it around and then Netflix was a place where it landed. I know you've worked as a producer and also as a cinematographer was directing something you, you were always interested in doing eventually. Yeah, I probably got like when I first started, you know, like 20 years ago, it was the aim was always I did. I directed short films and I wanted to do it. And then when I started working with Jason, you know, as I think everybody does when they start in L.A., you're you're trying to find your place. How do you pay your bills? And so I ended up falling into producing and being able to to, you know, pay my bills through that. So it kind of took a side. And then when I started working with Jason, he was wanting to get into directing. And so like we did a film together, Road Diploma. And at that time, I was really started to love cinematography. I started to gravitate towards photography. So it kind of worked out well, where I kind of went, I guess it was sort of a sabbatical from directing and really just honed in on cinematography and then producing alongside him with the projects that we were doing. And then as he started to get, you know, this was like way, this was like 2010. Um, you know, I was living, uh, we, we were just like young artists. No one knew who Jason was. I was living in an Airstream on his property. Um, and we ended up, uh, you know, as he started to get busier and he got Aquaman, he was not around very much. And so the relationship of being able to DP and him direct and us both produce wasn't really tangible because he'd be gone for like nine months and his schedule wasn't doable. So then I started to go back and just reevaluate directing and, and, you know, fell back in love with it. And, and, uh, you know, when I sweet girl came about, it was really just kind of like, um, how do I, how do I have my own spin? Like what's, what's the, where's my voice in this project? And, uh, and then just kind of started digging away and finding it. I'm intrigued by the film structure because it starts in medias res, which is sort of, uh, familiar for a Netflix film because it, it, they want to grab you right from the get-go. Was it always supposed to start this way or was this sort of like you, you know, when you're making a film on a streamer, it's not like a theater where, well, you're there, people aren't going to get up and leave, but on streamers, you've got to hold people's attentions because they could switch to something else. So was this always part of the film structure or did, was that keep, did it change because it was on Netflix? It changed, but, um, I might get to get in trouble, but I think it worked out for the best. Um, but it, it originally, I uh, started off with like sort of that title sequence. Um, and, uh, and we were talking about like, you know, it's not, I it's, it wasn't just a Netflix thing. It's like, you look at it and go, um, there is the way people digest, you know, content. Now you, you do want to sort of be mindful of that. And so we looked at it and we asked our editor, um, Mike McCusker, like Ford versus Ferrari and stuff. And he just said, like, if we had to do this, could you put together what that would look like? Um, and he did. And as soon as he did it, I was like, oh, no, I'm never going to win this battle. This works. <laughs> um, it would it, because I guess what it was is like, yes, we've, you know, me and the producers, we we you see that a lot, not just in Netflix. I think you see it a lot in other films where they're worried about grabbing the audience's attention. And so it was really trying to find where I was open to it. And I felt like it really worked is because it supports the rest of the film. It supports where it's going. Um, it supports what that big moment that happens on the top of the rooftop. And that was my goal is to just make sure that if we're going to do something like that, that it's, more than just sort of, uh, you know, hey, we're trying to grab your attention, but there's an overall structure um, to it. And I think that's always like 
what you do with like the notes that you get, if it's from a studio or from your friends and someone's bumping on something, how do you find the best way to, to um, solve it? So that really still fits within what you're trying to make. I also wanted to ask about working with Barry Aykroyd as, as a cinematographer, which must've been super exciting for you as, as a first time director to have him in your court and, you know, helping you along the way. So much. So I, I, um, so I had a, I had a, or I shouldn't say I, but my wife had a baby um, a week before production started. So oh, wow. it was like, it was a really intense going into the shoot. Um, I don't know if we would have a movie without Barry. Uh, I mean, just because A, he's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And he's one of the most talented people. And um, it definitely might, the style of how the film, I think when I first sold the film and how I was going to do shoot it, evolved once we got Barry because Barry he is there's nobody like him who can shoot two to three cameras uh, and make it make it all work and be able to do it too where we were able to make our days because we could capture so much but he has such a definitive style that's just Barry Ackroyd and uh, really like once he was on board my whole concept kind of changed because it was I think you need to, whatever crew member you hire, it's best to lean into their strengths, not try to go like, oh, let's, let's just go single camera. You don't want to hire Barry and go like, okay, we're just going to use a single camera. And, uh, you know, you want to go, hey, you're really good at three cameras. Let's, let's throw, let's throw your best skill set at it. And um, he just did uh, a phenomenal job. It's, it's uh, obviously I'm a bit biased, but I think it's his, his best looking film. It's great. He, he has a knack for like finding beauty in chaos. Yeah, there is there's there's such a unique. I mean, his camera team is so close and to each other. And what they would do is because what the one thing I really liked is is I kind of come I, from doing some documentaries work like documentary shorts, and I like not having to put tell the actor where they need to stand or they like. So when you walk on to the the, the set, the actors could just flow move around and he would find them and is that and so we would do you know they would we would do like two takes and the cameras would be moving and then they would all kind of come back huddle around the dit they would all each operator would look at what they were doing and bury and then they would go okay let's move our cameras and let's 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 move over here and we'll catch over here and it was just it was brilliant how how we were able to to capture all the moments and especially too like if you have to do an insert shot I, I hope to always do an insert shot with Barry because I hate it's just, you know, whenever you've got to like tell an actor when they their thumbs on the green screen on a phone to be like, hey, can you it's the weirdest thing ever. You're like, you haven't designed what the graphics are going to look like. And uh, Barry's Barry's just popping off with a long lens somewhere and he gets it. And it's it's amazing. What's it like working with Jason as a producer and as an actor? Because, you know, there are actor producers who become very image conscious when they get in front of the camera. But in this film, you can see that he's willing to be pretty raw and vulnerable right from the opening scene. So what was that experience like? Well, I think that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to do the film was knowing that there's this side and, and talent and capability that Jason has that not a lot of people have seen. And he was really open for that. He's not, he does, he's not precious about the way he looks. He's not precious about uh, um, his, I'd probably say one of the things he concerned most about is just authenticity, making sure something just doesn't look contrived or fake. Um, And on the producer role side, you know, 
we had a really strong crew. We hired well. And the idea with it is like, you know, he, Jason's really good at like being part of those decisions. And then once we get to set, just trusting that those are the decisions that he was a part of and making it work. So that it also helps too that when we're on set, I'm talking to him as an, as an actor director relationship, rather than we're both wearing our producer hats on um, going it. But uh, I think, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm trying to think this is really Jason, like being a character that's current, like present day, like blue collar, you don't see that very often. I mean, he's either Duncan Idaho or Dune or he's Bob Voss and C. He's always playing like sort of futuristic or called Drago. So I was just really excited for him to do. And he was saying, he even told me, he was like, it's one of the hardest roles for him to do because of that. I was also curious. I mean, that's one of the things that's interesting about Jason. And I'm curious if you could talk about working with him as a director, because physically he fills the frame. He's a very big guy, but as you said, there's a, there's an emotionality there. I think throughout all of his performances that it kind of takes the right director to kind of capture that and not let the physicality kind of overwhelm that or overshadow that. I was wondering how you, how you guys kind of work together to, cause he, he gives a really emotional performance throughout this film. I mean, it, he's, so he's a director in his own right, which is intimidating, you know, as like, since I've worked with him as a cinematographer, you know, it's very, what I think is demanding about him is you just have to be very prepared, you know, want, you've got to be ready, you know, the scene in the hallway uh, in which he breaks down, you know, that's something you're not going to be able to ask any actor, you know, Hey, let's do 16 takes of that. Um, you're, you're lucky if you're going to get five. And so uh, you know, it's having conversations with him prior to going like, okay, how this is, this is how I would love to capture this, having him weigh in on how, what, what he wants to do. And, you know, his, his idea for specifically like on that sequence was, it's like, I really feel like, you know, Ray wouldn't stay with, wouldn't let his daughter see him cry. I want to be able to, to, to leave the room and, you know, organically start talking about it. And then how Barry would shoot that. And Barry was handheld moving through the hallway to get it. And it's just, I think all of it, like it's prep, these conversations you have prior to, to getting into the day of like how, how he wants to do. It. And Jason has a good sense of, since we've worked together, he knows what, what I'm look, what I like as well, which are, are, we're on the same page for a lot of things. I'd probably say almost everything. We, we have the same sort of tastes. I was curious how you approached the the action scenes in this film. You know, you have obviously, you know, with, with Jason's physicality, there's that aspect of it, but also, you know, with, with Isabella, you're, you're trying to sort of, you know, work her into the scenes and uh, you know, be conscious of, of, of what she's doing. Can you just kind of talk about what it was to approach action in this particular film? Cause I don't so, want to, I don't want to say anything more than that. It was difficult. It was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was as difficult as it is to talk about it without, uh, on this podcast without yeah. <laughs> uh, giving up anything up. I, I mean, it's, you know, um, John Valera was, uh, you know, in the whole 8711 team are, are, are amazing. In fact, John Valera was the first phone call. We, once we got the green light to do this movie, John Valera was the first person we called both Jason and I and said, Hey, we need you to do this movie uh, because there's, so, he's so good at choreographing the action and as a stunt coordinator. And, and so, you know, if knowing the film then people will see it, that there's, there's this sub layer to the fights that you you have to constantly be aware of. And so when we, when 
uh, John would previs the fights, we would always have to look at them with a different angle. It wasn't, you could just looking at it going like, okay, this is Jason fighting. You had to look at it from another angle, um, of like, how does this work? And in those layers. And it, it, at first it was kind of difficult because Jason's so big and obviously a different size than, than, um, I don't want to say it, but, um, I'm giving it up, but you guys, whoever, when you watch it, people will get it. That it's, it's yeah. definitely, many, many conversations we had trying to, that we focused on the fighting. It was, you know, so that it was all, uh, the fights too, was always character based and story driven. And that, that was another thing that I talked a lot with John about is like how I didn't want it to just feel like we were falling. Oh, Hey, an action sequence starts. It's, it's like, you want it to feel like, Oh, an action sequence is starting. And it's because of something that's happened in the story. And, uh, more than just maybe somebody pointing a gun at somebody, you know? Well, I'm also curious, there have been so many imitators of Barry who have just gotten it wrong in terms of capturing fight sequences like that. And I was curious how you guys approached it here, what it's like working with him with those multiple cameras with, you know, handheld, but also making a cohesive fight scene that you can follow along the story of the fight. I, well, we prevised every fight. And so that, that that's always that's always like, I'm a huge fan of prep. Like, I think it's, I'm, I'm one that uh, I'm definitely not one of those directors. That's like gets in on the day and spends half the day trying to figure out what they want to do. And then they shoot the rest of the half. I'm like, I want to know what, what I'm doing. So we prevised quite a bit and knew exactly like for, for angles. Well, obviously when you're prevising, you're doing it with one camera. So I thought what was really brilliant about what Barry did is like, he would look at these previses and be able to apply these three cameras. And how do you capture each of these angles by moving, moving a camera, you know, an operator from one per, you know, maybe two feet over so that they can get the same angle that's in the previs. And so you're capturing three shots of the previs in one setup rather than just three different angles of the previs in one shot. And I, that's like a testament to Barry just, it's like when he has three cameras, it's three, it's, it's the, it's the equivalent of having, you know, three setups rather than just one setup and three different angles of the same thing. And, you know, you're not going to use two of the angles. You always know you're going to use, use the other two angles of the camera. And like we had one, we, sh the subway fight sequence, we ended up having to shoot on a live subway and we, we shot, we had a, uh, John Valera had to, choreograph in time from one stop because uh, we we went from one stop to the next stop and, and then when she gets thrown out of the the train uh rachel we had to design that so that as soon as they get there it throws out that it falls out or she gets thrown out so it all happens in um one sort of setup that we're doing and we change the cameras and it's difficult because when you're inside a subway you have all the other things that are, you know, um, obstacles that are part of the subway and it's really narrow. And then you put Manu and Jason in there who are two big guys and it becomes a really small space. And I think Barry just did a great job of being able to maneuver, put cameras and, and look at where, our, what we were, what I wanted to do and what we looked at the previous and being able to capture it. I think that's sort of answered the question. Yeah. 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 No, that's fascinating. We're, we're film nerds here. So we love all of that stuff. Yeah. I, I am Thank also fascinated. I'm also fascinated by the choice, you know, some movies, you know, they, they really want to sort of layer on that whatever this character does, it's sympathetic. And I think there's a lot of more shading to, to the protagonist here um, to where, you know, the kills can be kind of brutal. 
And I was wondering if there's any sort of decisions like, do we need to scale this back? Should we do alternates where, you know, it's a little more, it'll put them more on our side or do we go heavier where, you know, in the film you have, you know, a guy getting strangled with a garbage bag and that's, that's pretty brutal. So how do you sort of modulate that? It's a tough one. I mean, there were, you do start to look at um, sort of those, that, that side of the film and, and uh, go like, wait, am I going too far or, or not? I mean, Jason's a, a big proponent of single use plastic. So that was his idea. He's like, got to use plastic somehow to kill, to kill Simon Keeley. And, and uh, so we came up with a garbage bag, which, which is, but it's also character driven. It's like, that's that point where, uh, again, without giving anything away, that's a turning point for the story. It's like the point of no return that when you, when, when something like that happens, it happens. I mean, it's, you do question, I mean, it's always sort of in the back of my head of, of, you know, this is going out into the world and, and it, things are justified and how people consume it. And we always just looked at it as from a, from a justice point of view of this, this character, I do remember like one question I always got a lot was like, is there enough blood and, and uh, should there be more blood? And that was always the worst. I was like, I don't know. I've never, I've never strangled or slit somebody's neck or whatever. I don't know how much blood's supposed to come out of somebody like, <laughs> um, and, and I'd always be like, just, we don't even need to worry about it. If we, if we need some, we'll put it in VFX. Um, but that's I, but it was, I had a close friend of mine watch like an early cut of the movie and uh, he made a comment to me where he was like, wow, I didn't realize you were such a violent person. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I didn't think I was. Um, but yeah, I guess there, there is some really, uh, you know, violent parts of the film. All right. Well, let's get into some spoilers now. So if you are listening to this interview and not seen Sweet Girl, uh, turn this off, go and watch the movie and come back because um, we have some questions. <laughs> uh, namely, was this idea that, you know, Isabel Molnar is really the protagonist. Was that always baked into the idea of the story from the beginning, or is that something that developed as you guys were developing the screenplay? No, that was from the very get-go. Um, and one of the reasons signed on to the film was I sort of, you know, probably against better judgment, thought I liked the challenge of it. I thought this is, if if this gets done right, it could be, a you know, a really great um part of the story and to the reveal. And I, I also love the fact that in the structure of what we created, that typically, you know, if something like this happens in the film and for people who are listening, there's, there's a reveal, usually it happens in like the last five minutes of the movie and then people yeah. will do it. Here, what I really enjoyed about this story is that it's, you find out about it and then that's a proponent that takes you into the third act and it's all character driven. Like it's, it's the purpose of it is building on to the character at hand of Rachel and then continuing to follow her through the last step of her journey. And, you know, that was always the case, um, even from the earliest uh, or the first draft of the film was that, that reveal. I think we always talk, we did talk about maybe pushing it back later, but, um, I, I didn't want, I didn't want it to be like this thing at the last minute. And I definitely didn't want it to feel like some sort of trick pony thing that happens where you're like, Hey, I tricked you. So, you know, you want it to be emotional and you want the audience to be invested in it. So it, it feels, um, it feels right. 
Well, it's a big swing on, on multiple levels because not only are you telling your audience your protagonist is not who you thought it was, it's actually this character you thought was supporting, but also that, you know, what you've invested in someone you thought was a protagonist, this character has, is is more, and I want to say it's not that they're, it's not something that they're dead, it's that they're part of Rachel's psyche now. And so it's sort of, how do you make that an arc when they're not a flesh and blood person, but they are, as the film is, is telling us, a part of Rachel? It's, I mean, th- through the fight sequences that we were talking about earlier, um, it, it was, it's was definitely a complicated movie. I mean, even, you know, even just translating that through the crew and everybody to kind of understand, but yeah, we, we always from the get-go, you know, was, you know, soon as, as Cooper dies on the, the uh, Jason's character, Ray dies on the train. Um, the way that we looked at it on, from the script point of view and the story point of view is that even though you're showing Jason in my mind, it was Rachel, like still, still to this day, I feel like it's Rachel's film, not Jason's film. Like it's, it's her story. And it definitely becomes complex because you're, you're trying to figure out how it's a very fine line to walk, but that's why I think what, what both Bella and Jason did such an amazing job with is, is tracking they participated so well in tracking that and digesting what we were trying to do. And, you know, especially Bella and, and sort of her reasoning and for having to do it. And you look at the PTSD and what happens to a child when they lose both their parents and how do they go after somebody, especially when they go after somebody in the first, first thing that they happens, they ends up just escalating because that person dies and then it just, you know, keeps ratcheting up the story and stakes. Um, but it's, you know, you want to, you, especially on Netflix, you know, people are going to go back and watch it. And so that was like a stress making sure that, that everything adds up. Like you, you can't, you can't, it's not like back in the day, um, you could go watch a movie in a theater and, and then like, you know, six months from then it would be on the, be on the, you know, uh, you could rent it and then you could be able to rewatch. It's like, literally people could watch it right away and go like, wait, (laughs) that add up or not. And it was, it was a lot. We, we spent a lot of time making sure the architecture, uh, worked. Well, it's funny because early on in the film, there's a fight between Jason Momoa and Justin Bartha. And you're like, wouldn't he just be demolishing him? (laughs) Like this is a little harder than you thought it would be (laughs) between the two of them. And then you're like, oh, okay. Okay. Makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I was I was curious. This is the second film I've seen where the climax of the film takes place during a, a Pittsburgh Pirates game. Uh, oh no! Wait, what's the first one? Abduction. Oh, I've never the seen t- that. Yeah, that's what you don't need to. But oh. <laughs> not, it's very it's 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 quite poor. But I was just curious, like, what was it like uh, making that film at the stadium? Like, what's it like shooting? at an MLB stadium and, and do you get the fans to come and like, Hey, we're shooting at the stadium for a day or is it just a regular extras call? It was, it was a massive sequence, especially for a first time director. And we did that the second week. Um, and it, the entire, I think it was five day shoot. And we basically started on the bridge where we had, I think 80 cars that were extras to make it seem like it was blocked. And then I think we had a, something like a thousand extras as the crowd. And then it, it basically, we would just worked our way knowing on day one, we're on the bridge and by day five, we've got to have Jason at the top of the, on the rooftop. 
And it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's probably one of the easier locations that we had to shoot because at least we were like on concrete and, and in the city. And, you know, I storyboarded it out and really just mapped it out because in the script, it's like one of those things, like it's like a paragraph that says character enters, Ray enters the stadium and makes his way to the rooftop. And you're like, well, hold on for a second. How does he actually get to the rooftop? Um, and it was a lot of fun to shoot that and to work with, with those extras and the, the amount of like flexibility, I think that both major league baseball and PNC park gave us. I mean, we actually shot on the rooftop. Like we have not like, we also built it on green, but there's a shot where the FBI come up the ladder and they run onto the rooftop and run away from camera. That's actually on the rooftop. Um, and you couldn't ask a production designer couldn't do a better job than put than having a you know the just the layout of this baseball stadium on the river next to bridges right across from downtown Pittsburgh. It was, it was the setting of it was was um, huge as well. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, congrats on the film. It was really interesting to talk about it and to, to learn about the various twists. And uh, again, just congratulations. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So thanks again to Brian Andrew Mendoza and Netflix for the uh, taking the time to speak with us. Uh, the film is Sweet Girl, which will be available on Netflix on August 20th. So please check it out. Or if you have checked it out, uh, hopefully you enjoyed our interview and where we got into uh, some of the finer points of the film. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. You can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll be back with you next time.